0: Please join me in prayer. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. It is true in this story that we come to this morning that Jesus son of Mary, son of Joseph, carpenter in Nazareth, is set for something new. We arrive with him this morning in his hometown synagogue, to which he had come following 40 days of testing and trial in the desert, face to face with temptation to power, to grandiosity, to life wholly on his terms, as was his custom Jesus went to the synagogue. This right here, friends, is the key story for the gospel writer, Luke. We learn fairly on in our educational lives how to identify a thesis statement, that central claim upon which the whole of the story rests. And this, friends, is Luke's thesis statement. Jesus, the faithful Jew from Nazareth, is the fulfillment of God's promises to Israel, and yes to the whole world. Jesus' ministry is one that will take those promises and make them real. From the lips of the prophet Isaiah to the tough hands and dusty feet of this hometown son, good news to the poor, release to captives, recovery of sight to the blind, freedom for the oppressed, a year of jubilee, the year of the Lord's favor when all debts are forgiven, all land restored, all imbalances leveled. And all of this was fulfilled in their hearing today. It sounded good to the ears of those folks, those neighbors who had raised him, the aunties who had fed him, the rabbis who had first taught him familiarity with those words and stories of the prophets he recalled that day. This is Joseph's son. They beam with pride and certain expectation of a community who has done good by their own, one of their own. The feel, I think, is like those times when we gather to hear the thoughtful and purpose statements of faith of our confirmants, when we lay blankets and blessing upon the shoulders of our graduating seniors. Well done. Good and faithful servants, we can't wait to see what God has in store for you next. Except this story continues, for there is something that goes unsaid. Jesus hears it, even if they don't say it, understanding that they will likely wish him to return in some measure their good favor and care for him. Jesus goes further. Using a familiar proverb alongside these customary bread and butter stories of the prophets Elijah and Elisha, Jesus then upsets the expectation. What comes next has to do little with the mission with and to the Gentiles. The remnants of Israel all knew well and good that Gentiles were already a part of God's mission. They celebrated that Phoenician widow who kept Elijah alive and Zarephath, and the miraculous healing by Elisha of the leprous Syrian general, Naaman, their rage was not for the fullness of God's care. No, it was more personal, I think. It was the rage of a rejection of custom, a questioning of held expectation brought on by no less than that hometown kid they had helped to raise. In our house, there is always substantial anticipation of an annual event every late August, that is, the teacher reveal. The questions start in mid-June, who will my teacher be next year in school? And the wait feels interminable. A few years ago, we were neck deep in this weight only days before the names would be posted. And yes, of course, that year, the first year when both of our girls would be in elementary school, hence double the excitement level, that year we were out of town in a place with little to no internet on the day on which teacher assignments were to be posted that year. I remember that day, that Bill and I sat in different places in the house, changing every few minutes, trying to catch the best signal. Meanwhile, the girls buzzed around anxiously, shouting out the names of the people that they wanted. Finally, after not too little irritation with the portal and the internet and the instructions on how to find what we needed, the big reveal. And Ella was thrilled. She got the teacher she really wanted. Maggie, on the other hand, heard the name and grew silent for the first time that whole day. (laughs) The name was not one of the ones that she had been saying on repeat, fingers crossed, just moments ago. So in that silence, we asked her what she was thinking. Slowly, cautiously, somewhat anxiously, she said of the teacher simply, Everyone says she has high expectations. As her parents, we were thrilled. High expectations, that's great. You can meet those. And she did. And she loved that teacher. But I get it. She wondered what those expectations would be. What they could mean for her school year if everyone was right about that teacher we hear and talk a lot about expectations in our daily lives we want to know especially these days what to expect before we go somewhere where there'll be good safety measures in place what will it be like who will be there we wonder what can we expect as a new parent or a college student new to a campus as a new employee or a worshipper new to a congregation as a retiree, new to the freedom of determining your own schedule. And likewise, we have expectations of our own. Parents for their children and vice versa. Employees for their staff, vice versa. Teachers for their students, governments for their people, congregants for their church, vice versa, vice versa, vice versa. Our societal and social fabric is woven tightly with expectations that we have for one another, the ways we determine to be accountable to and to be held accountable. It is certainly right that we hold high expectations for one another and for ourselves in this community. We are responsible to worship meaningfully and intentionally, responsible to care for one another to serve our community and our world, to teach the faith, to faithfully steward the work of Christ that has taken place in this place for many years, stewarded by the saints who have come before. And surely it is our responsibility as the body of Christ to proclaim the good news to the poor, release to the captive, sight for the blind, freedom for the oppressed, restoration of equitable living. It's a big list, friends. But there are others too. Woven into these things that are core to our mission, we also hold implicit expectations for certain ways of our life together, for familiar patterns of community engagement, for what to wear on a Sunday morning and how worship ought to feel, for what it means to be an active member. We assume a knowledge of church culture and practice that more and more I wonder if it is not foreign to those not long steeped in the faith tradition. Some of these are so ingrained in part of the culture that they only come to the fore when a new member joins and then leaves not too long after. A conferman asks a question that's been on their mind for a while. A working parent continually declines leadership positions we just know they'd be perfect for. Or when we wonder, whatever happened to that person? We don't see them anymore. We attach these invisible rule books to every event, and they regulate the price of tickets, where tables should be set up and by whom and how funds should be collected and allocated, says the Reverend Carol Howard Merritt, speaking to these unsaid expectations that happen in every congregation. In her book, Tribal Church, Ministering to the Missing Generation, Merritt urges the church to consider what changes are needed to make a welcome space in our shared life for a younger generation. A generation that yearns for and could be richly fed by what is at our core. Meaningful and caring community, deep spiritual practice, and intentional engagement with the world. But one that is stymied sometimes by these unwritten rules of the way it's always been. The term tribe can be problematic, I understand, if understood as exclusive and conforming to a singular identity. But Merritt frames it here instead uh, instead as intentionally inclusive and intergenerational, a makeshift family, purposefully relational, formed around shared belief, tending to the needs of one another, celebrating and remembering tradition. One of the challenges to this is when we are driven in our life together by those implicit, unspoken expectations, which she calls our customs. Those actions that are in accordance with a precedent set. And she distinguishes these from traditions that she defines as forms of belief and practice grounded in ancient authority and meaning. The customs are those which she goes on to say are the guidelines that take years to gather and they are written in the murky history of the yard sale committee in the collective unconscious of the planning team. When a new person comes in, he is not yet familiar with this unwritten congregational book and will unwittingly break all kinds of sacred rules. She will suggest that tables be set by the window instead of the door. They will want the money to go to the homeless shelter instead of the children's home after a couple of meetings where several of her ideas are met with no we tried that before or we couldn't possibly do that she is quickly conditioned they learn that they will not make a significant contribution to the project and their valuable time would be spent better doing something else While Merritt writes this concerning a younger generation, I suspect that we have all run up against the customs of church at one time or another. She helpfully does not lay blame on anyone in these scenarios. The longtime members who have had these same conversations before and tried sometimes failed at the very same ideas are deeply in love with Jesus and in the church new members or a younger generation, those unfamiliar with these customs or just wondering why we do it that way, are trying to do right by their promises to engage fully and do the best to their abilities. And they too are deeply in love with Jesus and desiring to love the church. The mismatch these crosshairs, this feeling of pride and of hope and then of rejection, Jesus and his community are navigating these waters. Of him, they expected one thing. Is this not Joseph's son? Of Of them, he needed more or, to be honest, something different entirely? Story after story reveals that when we draw a line, Jesus steps over it, refusing to be boxed in by our expectations, our customs, our invisible rule books, rather than see this as a rejection of his hometown or a rejection of custom or simply a limitation of human expectation, I wonder if we can see it as an invitation An invitation to examine what goes unsaid, what distracts from our life together, what is known and what is assumed, what customs are ripe for reform, and what ways of being continue to serve us well. Will we listen to that brave question from a 14-year-old or the worried parent who can't to really take on one more thing or the retiree who would like to spend this newfound time meaningfully? Will we search out the ones we haven't seen in a while and hear what has kept them away? And what will we do with this once we do? I wonder if not now in a time when very little is predictable. When? The thesis of our life together as disciples of Christ, the central expectation around which every sacred tradition and custom forms is the same that Jesus proclaimed in that synagogue. Good news to the poor, release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, freedom from oppression, proclamation of jubilee. It is to proclaim Christ crucified and risen, as a promise fulfilled today that has implications for how we live and move and have our being every day. In all of our long years of faithfully working to do this, it can be the unsaid rules, the mismatched expectations that hinder and interrupt, that deprive us of voices, the presence, the gifts of those who will surely serve to enhance our life together. So an invitation at the start yet again of Jesus' ministry as he heads from hometown to shoreline, to hillside, to table, speaking what is yet unspoken, expanding, offering high expectations of all whom he meets along the way. This is an invitation to examine our hearts, to reveal our best hopes for life together, and then to follow Willing to change and be changed for the sake of building up the body of Christ, here and now. Thanks be to God. Amen.